Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Tesla's fourth quarter 2021 Q&A webcast. My name is Martin Vieca, Senior Director of Investor Relations, and I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q4 results were announced at about 3 p.m. Central Time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please use the raise hand, hand button to join the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Uh, thanks, Martin. So <clears throat> just to recap uh, 2021, uh, it was a breakthrough year for Tesla and for electric vehicles in general. And while we battled, uh, and everyone did, uh, with supply chain challenges through the year, we managed to grow our volumes by nearly 90% last year. This level of growth didn't happen by coincidence. It was a result of ingenuity and hard work across multiple teams throughout the company. Uh, additionally, we reached the highest operating margin in the industry uh, in the last uh, wide year report quarter at over 14% gap operating margin. Uh, lastly, thanks to $5.5 billion of million, <laughs> small finger by the now, um, uh, $5.5 billion of gap net, net income in 2021, our accumulated profitability since the inception of the company became positive, which I think makes us a real company at this point. Uh, this is a critical milestone for the company. So after an exceptional year, we shift our focus to the future. Um, Texas and Berlin. So we've, we've begun production at both Texas and Berlin. We started that uh, last quarter. Uh, but that, that's not the most important thing. Um, we, we focus more on when to get to, to volume production um, and when can we deliver cars to customers. Um, but, but I think it is worth noting that we, uh, and, and as the internet has observed, <laughs> uh, we've, we've, we've been ma making quite a few cars in Texas and Berlin. So, uh, in Boston and Berlin. So, uh, in, in Texas, we're building the Model Ys with the structural battery pack and the 4680 cells. And we will start delivering uh, after final certification of the vehicle, which should be fairly soon. Capacity expansion will continue through maximizing output of each factory uh, and building new factories and new locations in the future. Um, although we're not ready to announce any new locations on this call, but but we will, uh, uh, through 2022, look at new locations and probably be able to announce new locations uh, towards the end of this year, I expect. Um, so, so in 2022, supply chain will continue to be the fundamental limiter of output across all factories. Um, so the uh, the chip shortage, while better than last year, is still still a, an issue. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, th there are there are multiple supply chain challenges. <laughs> um, and um, last year was difficult to predict, and hopefully this year will be smooth sailing. But uh, you know, I'm not sure what you do for an encore to 2021, 2020. Um, Nonetheless, we, we, we do expect uh, significant growth in 2022 over 2021, um, you know, comfortably above 50% growth in, in 2022. 
Uh, full self-driving. So over time, we think full self-driving will become the most important source of profitability for Tesla. Uh, it's, um, I mean, actually, if, if you run the numbers on robo-taxis, uh, it's, it's kind of nutty. Uh, it's, it's nutty good from a financial standpoint. Um, and I think we're completely confident at this point that it will be achieved. Um, and uh, you know, my, my personal guess is that we'll achieve full self-driving this year. Um, yeah, with, with, with at a safety level, significantly greater than, than a person. So, um, it, it, you know, the, the, the cars in the fleet essentially becoming self-driving via a software update, I think might might end up being the the biggest uh, increase in asset value of any asset class in history. Um, we shall see. Uh, it, will, it will also have a profound impact on improving safety and on accelerating uh, the world towards sustainable energy through vastly better asset utilization. Let's see, so on the, on the product roadmap front, there's, there's quite a lot to talk about. Um, I'm not going to go through every sort of thing that we're working on because I think a lot of them deserve uh, product launches of their own uh, as opposed to uh, a few minutes on an earnings call. Um, so I'll talk kind of at a high level. Uh, yeah, mostly at a high level. Um, the, the fundamental focus of Tesla this year is scaling output. Uh, so, um, you know, both last year and this year, if we were to introduce new vehicles, um, our total vehicle output would decrease. This is a very important point that I think people do not, a lot of people do not understand. Um, so last year, we spent a lot of engineering and management resources uh, solving supply chain issues. Uh, rewriting code, changing our chips, reducing the number of chips we need, uh, which chip, chip drama central. Um, and there were not the, that was not the only supply chain issue. So there was just hundreds of, of, of things. Um, and as a result, we were able to grow almost 90% while uh, we, almost every other manufacturer contracted last year. So there, that, that's a good result. Um, uh, but but we, if, if we had introduced, say, a new car last year, uh, we would, our total vehicle output was, would have been the same because of the constraints, uh, the chips constraints particularly. So if, if we'd actually introduced an additional product, uh, that, would, it, that would then uh, require a bunch of attention and resources uh, on that increased complexity of, of the additional product, resulting in fewer vehicles actually being delivered. And the same is true of this year. So, so we will not be uh, introducing new vehicle models uh, this year. It would not make any sense because um, we will still be cost constrained. We, we will, uh, however, do a lot of engineering and tooling and whatnot to create those vehicles, as uh, Cybertruck, Semi, Roadster, um, uh, Optimus, um, 
and um, and be ready to bring those to production hopefully next year. Um, that that is most likely. Um, but, it, but like I said, it, it is dependent on to, are we able to produce more cars or fewer cars? Um, so. Um, In, in terms of priority of products, I think the, the I think actually the most important product development we're doing this year is is actually the Optimus humanoid robot. Um, this I think has the potential to be more significant than the vehicle business over time. Uh, if, you, if you think about the economy, it, it is the foundation of the economy is labor. Capital equipment is distilled labor. Um, so what happens if you don't actually have a, a labor shortage? Well, I'm not sure what econ an economy even means at that point. That's what Optimus is about. So very important. Let's see, uh, do, do you want to talk about the 4680 program? Um, sure. Oh, is this a good right, the right time? Or? Sure. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, sure. So throughout 2021, we focused on growing cell supply alongside our in-house 4680 effort uh, to provide us, provide us flexibility um, and insurance as we attempt to grow as fast as possible. Uh, as we sit today, sales from suppliers is actually sort of exceeds our other factory limiting constraints that you mentioned, Elon, um, in 2022. Or to say differently, 4680 sales are not a constraint to our 2022 volume plans based on the information we have. But we are making meaningful progress up the ramp curve in Cato. We're building 4680 structural packs every day, which are being assembled into vehicles in Texas. I was driving one yesterday and the day before. Um, uh, and we believe our first 4680 vehicles um, will be delivered this quarter. Um, our focus on the cell, the pack, um, and the vehicles here is driving yield quality and cost to ensure we're ready for larger volumes uh, this year as we ramp and next year. Um, and the 4680 and pack tool installations here at Giga Austin are progressing well with some areas producing first parts, and the Internet has also noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was touring the factory, the cell factory here yesterday. I'm, I'm super pumped. It's it's like a really uh, exciting accomplishment for us to bring everything into one awesome factory here in Texas. Absolutely. Um, and, and just to re repeat Drew's point, we, we are we, we are still we still expect to be part or primarily chip limited this year. Um, so uh, that's the thing. That's that's actually. The, the driver, um, yeah, and that that limitation should alleviate next year, um, and then probably we transition into a cell limitation battery cell. It's you know total gigawatt hours of cell limitation, which is when the forty six eighty will become very important. Agreed. So, thank, yeah. Thank you very much. And now Zach has some opening remarks as well. <laughs> The long opening, opening <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Martin. 
Um, as Elon mentioned, 2021 was a financially transformative year for the company. Uh, if we look across the full year 21 and compare that to 2020, our automotive gross margin, excluding credits, rose by over 600 basis points, enabled by work on cost reduction, utilization of our Shanghai factory for exports, and accelerating demand. OPEX has a percentage of revenue reduced despite the impact of one-time items and unique items, and operating income more than tripled with operating margin reaching our guidance of mid-teens, and these margins are trending up. We also saw regulatory credits accounting for a relatively small portion of our 2021 profitability, which we expect to continue to reduce um, in materiality going forward. For Q4 specifically, automotive gross margin excluding credits increased to 29.2%, which is our highest yet. We do continue to see some impact of higher pricing on certain models and trims, as was the case in prior quarters. But please keep in mind that due to backlogs, changes in pricing will generally impact our financials in future quarters. Supply chain challenges and port congestion resulted in a significant increase in our expedite costs in Q4. We also took reserves associated with warranty and recall costs. Operating expenses were meaningfully impacted by stock-based compensation from the final two tranches of the CEO stock grant becoming probable and payroll taxes associated with the exercise of the 2012 CEO options. The total impact of these payroll taxes, warranty and recall costs, and excess expedites was just over $700 million in the quarter. Our free cash flows have remained strong, reaching record levels in Q4 of $2.8 billion, despite increased CapEx. In addition to using cash to grow the business as quickly as we can, we have been retiring legacy and high-interest debt. Note that we plan to continue to utilize the ABS market for product-specific financing. As we look forward, we expect 2022 to be another significant and exciting year for the company. We continue to drive for vehicle volume growth at or above 50%, as Elon mentioned. And our plans show that this is actually achievable with just our Fremont and Shanghai factories. For quite some time now, these factories have been running below capacity due to macro challenges with supply and logistics. As Elon mentioned as well, from what we're seeing, the pace of growth in 2022 will again be determined by supply chain and logistics, which is quite difficult for us to forecast. Despite these constraints, it's important to begin the ramp of Austin and Berlin to ensure that we are prepared once limitations ease, enabling us to increase total output more quickly in the future. This will result in higher fixed and semi-variable costs in the near term, in addition to the usual inefficiencies as we ramp a new factory. We are also seeing inflation and rising commodity prices, which we expect to continue to put pressure on our costs. How this specifically impacts gross margins in the near term is uncertain, given a mix of both tailwinds and headwinds. However, we do expect to continue to see stronger operating margins as we grow our volumes and improve operating leverage. Over a longer-term horizon, we are quite optimistic about the expansion of margins, though. From the hardware side, we are aggressively driving manufacturing innovations and operational efficiency to reduce cost. And with the rapid development of FSD, software-based profits will ultimately become a strong addition to the profits generated by selling hardware. So congratulations to the Tesla team for a terrific 2021, and thank you to our suppliers who supported us. Looking forward to another great year. I'd like to just second the, the thank you to suppliers. Uh, a, lot of people, a lot of suppliers work like nice weekends, vacations um, around the world, and um, we're, we're very grateful for that.
Thank you very much. Um, let's go to the Q&A from the investor side. <clears throat> the first question was on 4680 cells, which uh, we already answered. So let's go to the second question. Uh, how is the progress of the $25,000 compact car? Can you give an update? Well, uh, uh, we're, we're not currently working on the $25,000 car. Um, we, you know, at some point we will, but uh, uh, we have enough on our plate right now. Too, too much on our plate, frankly. Um, so, yeah, at some point there will be. Um, but, but I think that's sort of a question that it's, it's sort of the wrong question, really. It's the really the thing that overwhelmingly matters is uh, when is the car autonomous. Um, at the point at which is autonomous, the cost of transport drops by, I don't know, a factor of four or five. Thank you. Uh, the next question from investors is, since we're talking product roadmaps today, how do you view domestic cooling and heating in the context of accelerating the sustainable energy transition, and how might Tesla's HVAC and heat pump um, advances fit it? I, yeah, I, I think from a mission perspective, it's very aligned. Uh, if you imagine replacing um, natural gas, water, and space heaters with electric heat pumps, it offsets something equivalent to like 80% of what a solar plus power wall system would offset. So it's it's very impactful. Um, and we have learned a lot about how to make uh, capable and reliable heat pumps um, uh, that work in all environmental conditions and uh, are excited about the idea of working on that problem one day, <laughs> we put it that way. Uh, it's definitely aligned with our uh, mission to transition to sustainable, accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. Yeah, I think it, it, it really becomes quite a compelling solution uh, to the, the consumer where you integrate uh, the electric vehicles, charging, uh, solar, uh, you know, energy storage, hot water, um, HVAC in a, in, a, in a very tight, compact package that also looks good. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, the, the integration <laughs> of those systems in a house, because Lars, by the way, we, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the integration of those systems in a house are, are, are no different than the integration of those systems in a vehicle. Yeah. The only difference is yeah. we do it all in a vehicle. It's way harder than a vehicle. Yeah. And then it's, it's, a, it's so constrained on mass and volume and yeah. energy. It's like... You get to the house, you're like, wow. If you have kind of easy problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, obviously those systems are all dis disparate, and, and, and what we've been doing with Powerwall and charging solar is integrating them more and more. Yeah, the yeah. next logical step is obviously HVAC and, and water and heating. So we will do that, um, and we will integrate it probably better than anyone has. But as you said, we have a lot of stuff on our plate. Yeah. So. And obviously it integrates with your, like your, your phone, your phone. phone app and everything, and, and then the, you know, the car can be like the house can just heat and cool things but because knows you're coming home, yeah. you know, type of thing. Um, it just doesn't need to be, like, randomly that temperature when you're not there or, you know. When the cat moves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so just do sensible things and, and just be, work really well. I think it'd be just, a, you know, quite a game changer down the road. Um, we, we, we got a lot of fish frying on it. <laughs> so... It is a thing we will do, but we're not committing to a time frame at this point. And people should do it anyway. Yeah, if somebody else wants to do it, we are, yes, please. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> super beneficial for achieving the goal here. Yeah. Uh, thank you. 
the next question is, would you consider splitting FSD packages into perpetual and term licenses with a higher tier for both options for commercial use? A perpetual license uh, could be attached to individual or business and not the vehicle itself. Um, no, I mean, it, is, it sounds maybe too complicated. Um, we're just going to be focused on like what, what solves for the fully considered uh, lowest cost per uh, mile or kilometer of, of driving. Um, and these are the, 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 the so that, that's, that's what matters. Like how, how do we maximize the efficiency of getting people from one place to another, um, and then and then charge charge them in a sensible way. Including the charging infrastructure, that's a big part of it. Yeah, so I can charge for money and charge for energy. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the next question is, is Dojo on track for summer 2022? And what challenges, if any, are you working through? Is Dojo necessary for FSD to operate better in cities like New York City? Or on a separate note, uh, where should we expect the first implementation of, uh, implementation of Tesla bots in your factories? Okay, there's a few questions in there. Six questions. Uh, yeah, Dojo appears to be on track for um, doing something useful in the summer of this year. Um, the, I think the threshold that really matters is at which point, when does it become uh, more competitive than a GPU cluster for training? Um, and obviously, the GPU cluster is getting better, so uh, it's a moving target. But that's that's the, the goal I've set for the team is um, the, um, the the FSD team running our GPU supercluster uh, needs to tell me that they want to use Dojo instead. That's that's where that's that's the, that's a yeah obvious sort of threshold. Um, and um, I, I don't know when that so you know like I wouldn't say like. Success is 100% certain here. Um, I think you, you would just generally want to overestimate needing options and underestimate ourselves. Um, but it does seem as though we might pass that threshold next year with Dojo, if, if, you know, if we execute well. Um, if Dojo is not needed for full self-driving, um, but it, it is... Um, a cost optimization on training vast amounts of video data. Uh, it, it, cost optimization also a rate of improvement. Uh, you know, so if you, can, if you can train models faster and have a shorter iteration interval, then you can make progress faster. So, um, like, not not everything can be just just, just distributed to a zillion deep GPUs. Uh, so, so, so there's some element of serialization there. So, um, and then you know, if, if Dojo is competitive, then you know it, it does seem like the kind of thing where we would offer it to other companies that want to do uh, neural net training. This is very much a neural net training optimized uh, system. Um, you know, it, but it, it, in theory, it should be. Uh, better than a, a, general, a generalized computing platform or, say, GPUs, which were not really intended for, uh, you know, the pixel shaders, not not uh, direct 
specifically intended for optimizing training of uh, neural networks. Um, they just happen to work better than CPUs in most cases. So if you can think of like Doja as like a giant ASIC, um, optimized for neural net training, especially video, uh, or video-like things. Um, but as, as like I said, it, we're not saying for sure Dojo will succeed. We think it will. Uh, we would encourage those who think this is an interesting problem to join Tesla. Um, and um, yeah. Um, so. Thank you. And the, the first use of Tesla bots, whether it's in the factory or elsewhere? Yeah, the first use of the Tesla bot, Optimus. The Optimus name seems to be sticking, at least internally. Um, Optimus subprime. <laughs> um, yeah, like if, if we can't if we can't find a use for it, then we shouldn't expect that others would. So, the first use of the of the Tesla Optimus robot would, would be at Tesla, um, kind of like moving parts around the factory or something like that. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, and the next question on insurance. When do you plan on having your insurance service rolled out in all the states? International rollout timing in markets that have Tesla insurance, what kind of uptake rates are you seeing? Yeah, um, we're, we currently offer Tesla insurance in five states in the U.S. Uh, four of them are telematics, which is Texas, Illinois, Ohio, and Arizona. Um, and then California, which has a, a more standard insurance offering based upon regulations there. Uh, it should be clear, like, we're pushing very hard for California to change the rules to allow uh, informatics, which basically means that, you know, you're, you're as safe as your driving is measured. So, um I think this, the, the current California rules are contrary to the best interests of the consumers in California um, and, and should be changed. Yeah, and that's evidenced by what we're seeing in Texas. Yeah. Where we've been in this market now for about three months. And what we see in the data is uh, the frequency of collision by folks who are, in, who are given a feedback loop on how they are driving is quite a bit lower than the frequency of collision otherwise. Yeah, and if we give people direct feedback on whether driving is safe, if they drive safer, they, their insurance costs less, so they drive safer. <laughs> it's great. It encourages Tesla insurance with informatics and real-time feedback encourages safer driving and rewards it. I mean, monetarily, it's great. Exactly. Yeah. And so we see that so far in Texas. Um, take, take rates have been quite strong. Uh, we measure this uh, on the conversion rate from when folks uh, quote to see what their monthly rate would be at the starting point to, to what percentage of them purchase. So we're very encouraged by the interest that we're seeing in Texas. And then we've had enough history in Texas to see what does the loss ratios look like and how do the economics of the program work. And, you know, we're on the right track there as well. So we're comfortable with what we've seen in Texas to move as quickly as we can to scale this across the U.S. Uh, specifically on the question about when we will be in all states, you know, this is a slow process because of uh, insurance being regulated at the state level. And so we have to go through each of those processes with each of the departments of insurance at each state. But our internal goal here by the end of the year is to be in enough locations that 80% of our customers within the U.S. 
uh, could choose to sign up for Tesla insurance if they wanted to. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around that based upon the regulatory processes, but that's our goal. And then as we make more progress rolling out in the states and each incremental state becomes a, a little bit less effort than the prior, that's when we'll turn our attention to, to the Europe market. Uh, we might be able to do that by the end of the year, uh, starting to get work on Europe by the end of the year. We'll, we'll have to see how we progress in the U.S. Thank you. Um, next question is, what is your expected max capacity from each of your current factories, Fremont, Shanghai, Berlin, and Austin, and timing for new factory announcements? I don't think we want to comment on I, that, like, the, the, that's it's always possible to increase the output of a, any given factory. Um, so you say, well, what's the max capacity? Well, it's difficult to say what that max capacity is because if you put a lot of effort into it, you increase capacity quite a lot. Uh, you know, I think there's, looking at the big picture, you don't necessarily always want to increase capacity at one factory because your logistics costs of transporting uh, cars needs to be considered, especially as the cars become more affordable you want to have factories that are not like thousands of miles away from the customers. Um, so even if you could increase output, it may not actually be the smart thing to do. Um, so in, in, in the U.S., uh, with, with uh, for example, with uh, Giga Texas coming, coming up, we, we would uh, want to deliver, say, Model Ys that are going to the uh, eastern two-thirds of the United States from this factory. The logistics costs are going to be much less. Um, we will continue to increase output uh, in Fremont um, and in at Giga Nevada uh, and, and in Shanghai. And, um, and as I said at the beginning of the call, we, this, this 2022 is the year we will be looking at factory locations to see what makes the most sense, possibly with some announcement by the end of this year. Um, yeah. Thank you. And the next question is, uh, what are the biggest obstacles for Cybertruck volume production besides battery shortage? Batteries will probably not be the limiting factor in Cybertruck production. There's a lot of new technology in, in the Cybertruck that will take some time to work through. Um, and then there's a question of, like, what's the average cost of a Cybertruck, and to what degree is that affordable? Uh, you know, there's, you, you can make something infinitely desirable, but if, if it's not affordable, that will constrain people's ability to buy it because we don't have the money. Um, I'd worry more about, like, how do we make the Cybertruck affordable despite having this awesome technology? That's that's the thing that will really set the, the rate. Um, you know, aspirationally, we'd like it to go, in terms of just a rough order of magnitude, we'd like the Cybertruck to be, you know, at least on the order of, Quarter million vehicles a year, um, but it'll take us a moment to get to get to that level. Thank you. Uh, the next question is, 
Uh, how much of Tesla's margin improvement is from, number one, economies of scale, number two, uh, uh, production, design, uh, production line design efficiencies, number three, reduced transportation costs from multiple plant locations, and number four, uh, pricing versus cost inflation, or number five, other sources? And how much further could margins improve and why? There's basically, yeah, there's basically four major factors if we look over the last year to the margin improvement in the company. Um, and there are no particular order here, but these are the big ones. So our, our mix of Model Y is increasing you know, as we've ramped that to higher capacity in Fremont and also in Shanghai. And, and the reason that matters is the Model Y is a vehicle that carries a higher profit than the Model 3. Uh, and so that um, is helpful on our margins. And then as we increase the volume on that program with labor efficiencies, um, fixed cost amortization, they improve and the costs go down as well. Uh, the second one here is, is localization in Shanghai has been a huge help for margins for the company. And, um, you know, the obvious things around logistics and duties uh, is a big part of it, but we've also... Um, that factory had a different line design, more efficient from the start, and we've been pushing the boundaries on the volume there. Uh, so that has been helpful. Uh, if you recall, at the beginning of the year, we also were in a transition to the new version of the Model S and Model X. And so as that has ramped over the course of the year, uh, that has been helpful. And then we've also done various price increases uh, in certain markets on certain models, um, which has helped there. So, um, you know, that, that's generally the story at a high level. You know, as we look over the next, you know, quarter or two, as I mentioned in my opening remarks in the last call as well, uh, you know, we, we have rampant efficiencies from the launch of Austin and Berlin. We, we also have um, pressures coming from inflation, supply chain, raw materials, et cetera. And so, you know, where that nets out is hard to say in the immediate term. And we obviously, as a company, are going to be driving to increase margins as much as we can. But I just want to be realistic that we're launching two factories simultaneously here, and it, and it unavoidably will add cost to the business as we do that. Um, and, and as we look further out, uh, and Elon mentioned this in his opening remarks as well, you know, the, the software portion of the business, I think, is the one to really pay attention to as, as full self-driving uh, features uh, uh, get rolled out to more and more folks. I mean, for me personally, I prefer to drive my car with the FSD beta on. I think as more and more people experience that, take rates there, and then as we work towards the robo-taxi space, there's, there's actually quite a bit of upside on margins from a software perspective. Yeah, I think basically everything pales in comparison to the value of a robo-taxi or, or personal driving. I mean, it's just, it just, I mean, that just has to overwhelm everything. Um, you just go from having an asset that is, has a utility of perhaps 12 hours a week for a passenger car to maybe around 50 or 60 hours a week. So a 5x increase in the utility of, an, of, of the asset. The cost didn't change. Or, yeah, so... That, that's where just things just, you, had, you know, it's kind of blows your mind. Thank you. And uh, the last question from uh, investors is, Elon mentioned level four autonomy could be achieved this year. 
Is it based off initial FSD beta rollout experience, or is level four ability predicated on Dojo being complete and online? As mentioned earlier, Dojo is not required for full self-driving. Um, you know, it, it, it should have a positive effect on the cost of training networks. You know, the, the, it's not just a question like does does you get do you get full self-driving, but really, it's kind of like the march of nines of reliability. Is it 99.9999 percent reliable or 99.9999999 percent reliable? This is guess nutty. So. We obviously want to get to as close to perfection as possible. Um, so, uh, frankly, being safer than a human is a low standard, um, not a high standard. <laughs> People are very, very lossy, often distracted, tired, you know, uh, texting. Uh, anyway, so it's, it's remarkable that we don't have more accidents. So. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, it, so, so actually being better than human, I think, is, is relatively straightforward, frankly. Uh, how do you be a thousand percent better or ten thousand percent better? Uh, yeah, that's that's what you know gets that's much much harder. Um, but I think anyone who's been in the FSD beta program, I mean, if they were just to plot the progress of the beta in interventions per mile, um, it's obviously trending to, you know, a very small number of interventions per mile, and and, and pace of improvement is fast. Um, and there's there are several profound improvements to the FSD stack that are coming you know, in the next few months. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I would be shocked if we do not achieve full self-driving safer than a human this year. I would be shocked. Thank you. Uh, let's go to analyst questions now. And the first question comes from Jed from Canaccord. Jed, uh, feel free to unmute yourself and ask a question. Hi, thanks. Um, and uh, congratulations on a great year. Um, Elon, I guess my my question's around uh, the mega pack or your energy business. And so as we look at the um, strategy or the supply chain constraints that you uh, mentioned, you have two different strategies, or it seems like, with uh, Megapack and Powerwall. And I think the Powerwall was answered with 4680 and the, the uh, 2170 opening up. So I was wondering if you could just talk about um, uh, the supply chain and LFP for the Megapack and what we should expect for that. Uh, yeah, to, to be clear, we, we, we do think that all stationary storage, uh, Powerwall and Megapack, Will be will transition to um, an iron-based system, um, basically a, a non-nickel system. Um, manganese is also, uh, you know, could be part of the future, but primarily iron. Um, it just comes down iron-nickel. <laughs> you, you need something that uh, uh, is, is uh, you know, formed in a star before a supernova, um, ideally. 
Uh, so, it, you know, iron, iron is. <laughs> um, so that, that's there's, there's a ridiculous amount of iron on Earth. There's also a ridiculous amount of lithium. So, um, so you can really expect all stationary storage uh, to transition to uh, iron uh, over time. And uh, like I said, with, with manganese is like a wild card. Um, it's also less amount of manganese. Um, so, uh, and I, I, I should say, like we, we did uh, shortchange the energy business last year, um, in that vehicle took priority over um, the energy side. So, uh, not on cells, but on chips. Yeah, on chips exactly. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, We do see a very, you know, I mean, long-term, probably terawatt hour per year energy business. Yes. So, a lot. It's very vast. Um, yeah. That's helpful. Thank, thank you. So, so you see, like you see, that 22 is kind of the opening of that uh, the energy business uh, reaccelerating. Uh, it's hard to predict 2022 because we still have lingering supply chain. There are still lingering supply chain issues globally. Um, uh, but I think the chip stuff, at least the chip side of things, appears to look, looks like it like it will alleviate. Uh, end of this year or 23. I mean, there are a crazy number of chip fabs being built, which is great. Um, the sheer number of chip fabs being built right now is, is uh, exciting to see. Uh, yeah. So, but there could be other issues. Uh, we're trying to anticipate those as much as possible, but, um, you know, predicting the future is, is difficult. And the goal is definitely to grow it this year. Yeah. We, it'll, oh, yeah, it'll grow it this year, yeah. for sure. Uh, it, it just, you know, we... If, if we're simply uh, if we're able to, to respond to demand, uh, it might grow by like two or three hundred percent or something, you know, uh, as opposed to fifty percent or something. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's exactly that. I mean, it's a question of does it double, triple, quadruple? I mean, either way, I think you know, our plans are are pretty ambitious for Megapack this year and storage in general. Yeah, the exact amount of growth is hard to know. But, but ultimately, I mean, to Elon's point about the growth of this business, I mean, we need to be growing it faster than the vehicle business. It, it, and it will, it will yeah. actually grow faster than the vehicle business um, once, once we can alleviate the yep. damn choke constraint, frankly. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. it, it, will, it will grow like kelp on steroids, basically, down the road. It needs to. You know, our primary mission is to accelerate sustainable energy. That's always been our primary mission, and we're, we're trying to stay true to that. Thank you. Uh, the next question comes from Ben Kalo from Baird. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, I was wondering on, on the R&D front, because like you said, you have so many fish frying. Um, how do you organize the R&D, uh, you know, uh, efforts, you know, to, so that you can, you know, start talking about all these new products? Is there like an incubator or uh -huh. some type of thing like that? But just structurally, it's, it's curi I'm curious about that. Thank you. Uh, 
But we don't have incubators. Uh, or research centers. Research centers. We don't have research centers. No. Um, yeah. Um, we work on things that go into our products. Yeah, we're like, let's, this is a useful product that, that you know, the world really needs, and, and, and we're just like, let's make this thing, you know, design it up and iterate fast and, uh, and, and then figure out how to make this at scale at a reasonable price. That, that last part is the super hard part. You know, I would, you know many times I've said prototypes are easy, production is hard. Uh, we could whip out as many prototypes, but that, what's the point of that? It, like, yeah, the, you actually have to reach scale production um, uh, and have it cash in, exceed cash out. That's the super, super hard part. <laughs> so, um, so, so everybody needs to be in the factory often enough to be able to understand that last part of the equation. Yeah, and if and if you're in a research center, yeah, I mean, you do, doing them separately is like in totally. addition for actually making products. So, so, so we. I mean, yeah. We don't think of it as R and D, and then like the product development. It's just one fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> one go to just make great products. Yeah. Um, is it, does this in general societally there's way too much uh, uh, value placed on the idea? Um, it, it's like you know, like the idea. Everyone, like you have, to have, you have the idea of going to the moon. That's not the hard part. <laughs> okay, going to the moon is the hard part by far. <laughs> and the, the thing is that that is true for really most products. So uh, there's just way too much value placed in the idea of, of versus execution. Um, we have ideas. We have a bazillion ideas. <laughs> More ideas than we know what to do with. We have to sort through them and say, which one are we actually going to go through the blood, sweat, and tears of bringing to volume production? That's the super. Uh, and then do actually do that. That's tough. So. And the closer you are to Applying blood, sweat, and tears to actual production, the faster you'll be able to bring new things into actual production. Yeah, exactly. So. You, want, you want a tight feedback loop with production. Yeah. That's like like the, the, the office we're sitting in right now literally looks over the, the, the Giga Texas production line. Like the offices are integrated into the factory. Thank you. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Tony Sakanagi from Bernstein. Uh, yes, thank you for taking my question. Uh, I have two, please. First, you, you spoke a lot about FSD um, and how the economics could be very attractive going forward. I'm wondering if you could just share what your current attach rate might be for FSD on your vehicles or uh -huh how to think about the progress of your attach rate or revenue in FSD, let's say in 21 versus 20, um, and um, how much deferred revenue um, uh, for FSD was drawn down during the year. And I have a follow-up, please. Thank you. You know, I, th I think the FSD stuff, you really don't want to be looking in the rearview mirror. Um, it will not be a good indicator for the future. Um, you, this is you need to look out the front windscreen. Um, so, uh, because it is such a profound step change. Um, I mean, effectively, long term, every car will have FSD. You know, so 
um, and the value of that will be a, a very big number. Um, you know, it, it, like you just look at this as asset utilization, and you have a passenger car, which normally is driven maybe one and a half hours a, week, a, a day on average, maybe 10, 10 hours, 10, 10, 12 hours a week. A lot of, a lot of cars in parking lots. You know, so we're spending money not just driving the cars, but storing them all over the place. Um, we can get rid of a lot of parking lots if you have a car that is operating all the time. Um, but there will be a challenge with traffic. Uh, so, you know, we've got like this little tiny baby company, the Warren Company, which I initially started as a joke, and, and now, <laughs> but now it's, I think it actually could be quite essential to alleviating the insane traffic that will happen when cars are autonomous, because you reduce the pain of, of travel and you reduce the cost of travel so dramatically that there will be a crazy number of cars on the road. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be, I, I think it will be cheaper to go point to point with a, with a robo-taxi, which is an autonomous Tesla, which every car we've made in the past three or four years will, will be capable of that, uh, than a bus or a, or a subway. It will cost less than the subsidized value of a bus ticket. So, people are not going to take, people are not going to take the bus. You know, if, if it costs you, I don't know, for argument's sake, you know, two, two bucks to travel 10 miles point to point, nobody's taking the bus. Especially in cold weather or it's dark or maybe a little bit dangerous or how that, you know, door to door. People just do not understand how profound a change this is. It's not, it's not like some little feature. It's like the most profound software upgrade maybe in history. Um, millions of cars suddenly have what, four or five times the utility than they used to have overnight. I don't actually know how to quantify that financially, except that it's some big number. Okay, thank you for that. Um, Elon, I was wondering if I could just follow up and ask you, you, you talked about your product roadmap and, and also your goal to keep growing at 50% at per year or better. Um, that would put you at 3.2 million vehicles and or more in 2024. Um, and I, I think you made reference to Cybertruck, you know, maybe being 250,000 vehicles. Um, if, if there is no $25,000 vehicle being worked on, is it <laughs> really realistic to think that you can sell more than 3 million vehicles with two very high-volume cars and Cybertruck in 2024? Or how, 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 do, we, how do we think about that, or, or what else is missing in that equation? Yeah, I mean, it's apparent from the questions that the the, gravi the gravity of full self-driving is not um, is not fully appreciated. Um, you know, if, if an asset has five times more utilization than the, it, it affect, it's like it's like dividing the cost of that asset by five. 
So if you have a fifty thousand dollar car, it's like having a ten thousand dollar car, or if it's like, but but maybe better better than that because still you don't need anyone to drive. So the person can be engaged in productivity or amusement instead of having to, you know, onerously drive through traffic. Um, so it's probably better than five times. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, basically, if the cost of our cars did not change at all, we would still sell as many as we could possibly make. Thank you. And the next question comes from Pierre Faraku from New Street Research. Hey, thank you for taking my question. Can you hear me well? Yeah. Um, I wanted to come back on, uh, on batteries. So it's great to hear on one hand that you, you guys uh, expect to sell like, the first uh, cars with 4680 this, this quarter, and, and at the same time that you don't really depend on that ramp to, to achieve your, um, uh, what you hope to achieve in terms of significant volume growth um, this year. Uh, and, and the question I had is, you know, I understand well the ramp at 4680 internally, but I'd be curious to hear you talk about how you think about 4680 as being a form factor that your um, suppliers could uh, uh, adopt as well, and how you see in the long run, uh, in the greater scheme of things, you know, uh, what does 4680 become? Uh, is it going to be outside of Tesla, the largest form factor for batteries? Is it something that you guys are going to... Uh, 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 to deploy uh, in all cars, whatever the chemistry, also in uh, in the mega pack, in, uh, in in all your energy storage business, and do you expect eventually a lot of other companies to use that form factor as well? Yeah, um, on the 4680 as a form factor, yes, we've engaged with um, a number of our you know partners, our suppliers uh, um, on on the form factor, and they're all working on it. Um, and, you know, they look at it the way we look at it as a way to drive fundamental cost efficiencies in production um, and and also ultimately the design of the cell itself to, to drive the cost down of, of the cell. Um, and um, and so that's that's what's engaged. I mean, we're we're engaged because we think it's a good form factor. They're engaged because they think it's a good form factor and we're we want people to make it for sure. Um, to the question about should everything be 4680? It doesn't have to be. In the end, it's it's about uh, cost competitiveness, scalability of manufacturing. And when you compare, like, a iron cell with a nickel cell, for example, like, there are some just physics-based differences in what happens in certain corner cases that would drive different form factors. And we just have to be cognizant of that and design to that. So it isn't, like, the ultimate form factor for all things. There's other form factors that could be better for an iron cell, for example. So, yeah, we, we don't use 4680 at all for the iron that base cells. No. Okay, thanks. And I have a quick follow-up on um, uh, on chips. So you've talked a lot about um, all, all this um, uh, shortage and these supply difficulties. And I was wondering if you could give us some color on, um, you know, like the power chips you need um, uh, for inverters and uh, all, all the, the power systems you have. Uh, you're putting together versus like the more traditional um, uh, logic chips if, if the situation is um, different between the two. And 
should we understand from the situation today that you're working very hard also at expanding the scope of your suppliers? And should we expect like uh, Tesla to take on board uh, additional suppliers in the, in the near term, uh, especially on the power side? Well, last year was chip hell of many chips. Uh, so silicon carbide inverters were certainly one of them, but uh, um, honestly, it's a lot of annoying, very boring parts. Yeah. It's a ton of very simple control chips that run of them all, literally, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basic chips to, to control. Voltage references, oscillators, just yeah. like very boring things. Yeah, exactly. Like the little chip that allows you to move your seat back and forth. <laughs> it actually was a big problem. <laughs> yeah. So it couldn't make sense. Um, so, I, I, like, but a lot of these things are alleviating. I think there's, there's, there's some degree of the toilet paper problem as well, where, um, you know, there was a toilet paper shortage uh, during COVID. And, uh, like, obviously, it wasn't really an, an, a, suddenly a, a tremendous enhanced need for ass wiping. Um, it's just people panicked in order to, and got every paper product you probably, you could possibly wipe your ass with, basically. Um, and I wasn't sure, is this like a real thing or not? I actually took my kids to the HEB at Walmart in Texas to just confirm that this was real. <laughs> Indeed it was. Um, and there was, there was plenty of food and everything else, which is nothing, no paper products um, that didn't cause a splinter. So um, an odd choice for people to panic about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if those things are, if the end of the world's coming, I think, well, they have to release your problems. So I think we saw just a lot of companies overorder of chips uh, and, and they buffer the chips. Um, and so we should see, and we are seeing alleviation in, in that, almost every area, but the output of the vehicle is uh, goes with the, the, the least lucky um, you know, uh, whatever the most problematic item in the entire car is, and there's like at least 10,000 unique parts in the car. <laughs> so, uh, you know, way more than that if you go further up the supply chain. And so it's, it's just which which one is going to be the least lucky one this time? It's hard to say. Um, yeah. I mean, on a go-forward basis, right, the idea is to continue to drive simplification so there are fewer unique parts, fewer of them. On the power side in particular, you know, it, it's still, like, a, an area of, like, technological development where, you know, the next the next chip can do the same thing with less die area. So, like, the total fab required to accomplish the function goes down. So, so there's still room to grow without needing more fab capacity. But in general, there's a lot more fab capacity coming. So that's, like, a win-win there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not a long-term thing because there's going to be a, a, a crazy amount of chip labs being built, which is great. Well, thank you very much. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this session. Uh, thanks very much for all your good questions, and we'll speak to you again in three months' time. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks.